This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're gonna be the same. Hello. Woo, happy Tuesday, everybody. Welcome to the Donna and Steve Experience on My Talk 1071. Everything entertainment. Another short week. Yeah, keep these coming. Oh man. I love it. I love it. I love it. Things are starting to melt around here. That is true, yeah. You know, I am immediately changing. I was gonna be negative there and say you know, we're going to get pummeled still. There's still so much opportunity. Our snowiest month is March, you know, but hey, let me, hey, I know. Hey. <laughs> Sorry. No. Uh, so what I'm going to do instead is say it is important to get some melt so that when spring finally does spring, spring. <laughs> there it won't be as be much of a snowpack to get through. So, yeah, we want some snow we and want then we want some melt. Uh, we want a slow snow melt. Thank you. Donna, thank you. Okie dokes. <clears throat> All right. Thanks, guys, for joining uh, us today. Bye-bye now. No, no, <laughs> we have things to talk about. All right, fine. I was reading this, this sweet message that Dolly Parton had uh, sent to um, um, Priscilla Presley about the passing of her daughter, Lisa Marie, and I just thought, oh, that's just so sweet. I mean, I'm sure lots of people have sent messages. I've just happened to see that one. Well, one from Dolly stands out for sure. Yeah, yeah. And now I see that Lisa Marie's daughters, her three daughters, will inherit great inherit inherit. That sounds weird. Why does that sound weird? Inherit. You're saying it great. Thanks, man. We're loving it. Anyway, they're going to inherit Graceland. So, and Lisa Marie will be buried. Uh, next to her beloved son, Ben, mm. at Graceland. That's also where Elvis and Elvis's mother and Elvis's father and Elvis's grandmother are all buried. So that's lovely. That is great. And that service is happening this upcoming Sunday. It seems that there is a public memorial that will happen on Sunday Excuse me. Okay. at Graceland. So okay. that is the latest on that. I'm li- I was also looking at the picture of her at the Golden Globes. Mm-hmm. She doesn't look well. Very pale. She just looks very, very pale. You know, uh, maybe that's now that we know. Yeah. She passed. Yes. You sort of yeah, right leaning right. back into it. Yeah. That uh, could be. Yeah. You know, plus, not to mention, you get a big flash bulb in front of you. The wrong photog takes it with the wrong setting on their flash, and we sure. all look sort of ghostly. I mean, you guys That's have fair. seen That's fair. our publicity photos, right? I, you know? Yes, not a fan. <laughs> have you ever, though, Donna, have you ever had a publicity photo taken yes. of you over the last 30 years and thought, oh, loving this? Yes, I oh, have. Really? Yes. 
Let me guess. It was when you were with the other guy, wasn't it? Yes. Oh, well, it must be nice. Everything. Well, you guys are on a horseback, probably. Oh, you're so funny with the country jokes. Because it was a country music yeah, radio that's station. Right. Anyway, uh, how about them giants, huh? Donna. What? Oh, sorry. Donna, I mean, we're, oh, on, we're I, on in Minneapolis. That's right. <clears throat> St. Paul, Twin Cities. Uh, oh, it was bummer a for the Vikings, man. Tough weekend for the Vikings. You know, here's the thing. Every season except for one feels like it ends pretty abruptly, although there is a particular abrupt nature if you get into the playoffs and lose the first round of the playoffs. You know, I always say, gosh, if we could just get one win, it feels exciting. You're in the conversation longer. And the Vikings, after such a memorable season with some really memorable games, uh, the huge comeback against Buffalo stands out among all of the just like, what are we watching? There were times, I think, that if you were a Vikings fan, you felt like you were a, quote, team of destiny it just seemed like no way we're supposed to lose that game this is we're moving forward we are marching forward and then it comes to an end um on sunday at u.s bank stadium at the hands of the new york giants donna valentine happens to be from the giants and they play in new jersey (laughs) from the giants whatever you get what i mean she used to play for them um so anyway that was tough it was a really yet again outside of last night's game last night was a monday night game between uh, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys absolutely waxed the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Some people wondering, is it Tom Brady's last game? Oh, God. Is it his last game in Tampa? We we don't know. Um, but they got crushed. There was a guy I don't know if you saw, but that game was a blowout. Every other game was really exciting and compelling, uh, including, by the way, Donna, a team that was down 27 to nothing. Don't turn your TV off. They won. Oh, my god! The Jacksonville Jaguars were down 27 nothing. Their quarterback had thrown four interceptions in the first half. Here again, the greatest unscripted drama on television. If you write it, you're like, okay, dude's not going to throw four interceptions in the first half and four touchdowns in the second right, half to lead his right. team to a dramatic last-second field goal victory. Well, he did. That's exactly what happened. Um, but, yeah, it was an exciting weekend. Last wow. night, there was a guy who missed... Um, Twitter was going crazy because of the Cowboys kicker, and they won. Missed four extra points in a row. Oh, no. Oh, your heart was breaking for this guy. That guy's crying. Brett Maher, I know. Oh, dude. You're hurting for him. You're hurting for his family, who was like, hey, Brett's in the playoffs tonight. And then then you have announcers saying he might be out of a job. And you're just thinking. Oh, yeah. It's a real, being a kicker in the NFL, and we know this, here in the great state of Minnesota, the Vikings kicker problems are well documented in the past, particularly in the playoffs. Uh, It's a hero or zero kind of thing. You make the field goal, it's like, good job, buddy. You did what we expected you to do. You miss it. You are... Just the scourge. Everyone is, why him? We need a new kicker. It's a tough gig. I hate the NFL kicker. That's all they do, right? They just kick. They don't play on the field. That's it. They just bring them in for that. Yeah. Laces out. Wow, what a cool job. You know, I think a punter is where you want to be. Field goal kicker, if if you miss the field goal, everybody hates you. If you have a bad punt, eh, whatever. It's a punt. So isn't a punt a kick? A punt is what you would do if it was fourth down and you didn't think you had a good chance at converting on fourth down, so you would then punt the ball. For a point or three points? So zero points. 
you would just oh, punt, punt it to the get ball rid of it. back. Okay. Yeah, and then the, the other team gets it. So you want to be able to strategically place it somewhere on the field. You want to pin them back so they have bad uh, uh, field. What's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. That doesn't matter. Okay, what's uh, a long snapper? So that would be a person who would be snapping the ball to like a kicker or a punter. You're you're doing a long snap. It's like a special player who comes out because we're going to kick a field goal and we need to get it back there because it's not like the quarterback's hands are right under my butt. Wow, I'm going to get like football for dummies. This sounds fun. It is <laughs> this fun. This game sounds really fun. Yeah, you'd like it, Donna. You would like it. Because I, um, I got to be honest, I never know what's going on. I know that they get four chances. That's it. And I know a little bit about the point system, but that's it. I'm just watching like a dummy. May I ask uh, a question? Please do. If I found you a uh, YouTube video that, like, in 10 minutes explained the basics, would you find uh, that sure. valuable? I would. Thank you. Would you turn it into HR someday in your ever-mounting mansplaining case against me? No. Are you kidding? No. All I right. wouldn't. Don't make All that right. face. All right. I'm just asking. Um, we have a lot to get to today. I watched a movie that I was pressured into watching. I cannot believe you squeezed in a movie and finished a book and watched all these games. Donna, I started and finished a book. I started and finished that book. Wow. I was hoping you would be impressed. Well, we'll, we'll get find to the out movie first. Is. I watched Stand By Me. Um, I have thoughts on it. We'll talk about it. And then Holly is sort of been kicking around an idea of a, a new segment that could pop up on the show. So we'll, we'll sink our teeth into all that when we return right here on the Donna and Steve Experience on My Talk. Donna for Bradshaw and Bryant. You know, over the past year, I've learned a lot about personal injury cases from my friend Mike Bryant over at Bradshaw and Bryant. And one of the things that I did learn is how a low-speed car accident, for example, can dramatically change someone's life. At Bradshaw and Bryant, no, they cannot change what happened to you, but their experienced personal injury attorneys will work really hard to help you obtain the financial compensation you deserve. Now, clearly a settlement can't undo what happened, but it can provide resources you need to cover things like medical bills, lost wages, future rehab costs, and not to mention compensate you for your pain, suffering, and emotional distress. I've learned from Mike how important it is to A, seek medical attention right away uh, following a collision because serious injuries sometimes don't show up for months and then B, get a hold of a personal injury attorney uh, free of charge. Mike will meet with you. You can find him at minnesotapersonalinjury.com Hey, good morning. Welcome back. Donna and Steve on My Talk 1071. Everything Entertainment. Steve had an assignment over the weekend. He fulfilled his duties. This is great. I got to be honest. I don't even think I've ever seen this whole movie. Oh, Donna, that is disgusting. (laughs) You sickened me. I don't remember. The movie that we're talking about is a classic, Stand By Me. This came up in conversation last week, and I was like, oh, yeah, I don't think I've seen that. And then uh, people were like, well, you got to see it. Holly almost walked off the show. She was so disheartened. I mean... By what she had heard. The movie came out in 1986. It is, uh, of course, the you know the story of four friends. Donna, you would you would like it in the respect that it is uh, it's coming of age. It's nostalgic because you know it's in the 80s, but I think it's set in the 50s. 59, I think. 
It's a Stephen King book. It is a Stephen King book. Come to find out at the very end, it's like based on, yes, exactly. By the way, yeah, there's a dead body that they're going in search of, and I'll be darned, they find it. And they show it to you. You, Because when you're watching it, you don't know if you're actually going to see the body or not. But there are... I thought it was good. I thought it was good. I understand why people really like it. There is a uh, another coming-of-age movie that it is reminiscent of that happened, oh, goodness, maybe about seven or eight years later, which was more my cup of tea. The Goonies? Which, the Sandlot. Oh, so good. Which feels reminiscent in in terms of it tipping the cap to a nostalgic time of Americana and all of that. So similar time frame that that was set in. Um, And then you just have these, now in the Sandlot, you have these boys who form this ragtag baseball team, and then they invite the new kid who just moved into town, and they all become buddies together. These are four friends who just sort of set out on an adventure. One buddy comes over. Oh, and by the way, that I have a revelation here. One of the kids comes over, and it's like, you guys want to see a dead body? And then so starts their journey of trekking into the woods, and they heard something, and so now they're young kids who have heard about this other kid who has gone missing, presumed dead, in their general part of town. And then they set out on this long adventure into the woods. But check this out. I'm watching this, and uh, I'm looking up the cast, and I do Stand By Me cast, and of course, River Phoenix was in it, who you know ended up what passing away seven years later. Um, he's in it, and I'm seeing some pictures of because I'm like, oh, two things I need to admit to you guys. You will, uh, Holly's going to be deeply disheartened by this. I know of River Phoenix having passed, and I know of River Phoenix pictures of when he was 23 and passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was watching this movie, I couldn't tell who was whom. I was like, oh, which one is River Phoenix here? And there were two that I was going back and forth between, kind of the two leads, if you will. I knew who Corey Feldman was, so I was fine. So I'm going back and forth. I pull up a picture of the Stand By Me cast, and I was like, what's Jerry O'Connell <laughs> doing in this picture? I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Son of a gun. Jerry O'Connell's one of the four kids in Stand By Me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he, if I, if you didn't know who Jerry O'Connell was... As a star, if you didn't have any point of context, and I showed you a picture of Jerry O'Connell and Stand By Me, and then I just said, here are five different guys. Tell me which one that kid grew up into. The last one you would choose would be Jerry O'Connell. It's just, I, I was gobsmacked by that. So that was enjoyable to find that out. Um, you know, what they, what I think they did well in Stand By Me is they tapped into... The passing nature of friendship. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Bradley Trainer, And I'm Don McClain. We have a podcast called Blinded by the Item. A blind item is gossip about a celebrity with their name left out. It's a guessing game, and you can play along. The item might be like, this A-list star carries a Birkin bag worth more than the average person's house to the gym to work out. 
Pretty sure that's J-Lo. And P.S. The person behind all of this is Chris Jenner, LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends. Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube channel. The, the seasonal nature of friendship that sometimes people are in your life forever and other times they're just there for a little bit. And you think, especially when you're adolescent, tween, teen, you think... Never will a friendship uh, be as strong as, as this. And we're going to be friends forever. And then sure enough, you look back 15 years later and you think, I haven't talked to that person in 13 years. Yeah, yeah. But they also talk about, you know, I think the final line of Stand By Me, uh, it talks about, you know, I'm going to paraphrase it here, but that you never have the friends you have like when you're, you know, 12 years old. And you just, you really never, like, it just burns so bright, those friendships. You share every little detail of your life with these people. You feel totally comfortable. You can just be at ease, you in your own weirdness, and you know mm. they're going to accept me because I know their weirdness, too. There's a beautiful part of relationships at that young age that Stand By Me does a nice job of capturing. Um, so I think you would like it. I would give it, if I had to rate it on the Gary scale, the Gary scale is tough because it's only we can't do half points so i need to break it and do a, a okay. half point here i'm gonna do three and a half out of five or seven out of ten solid okay jack bauer from 24 is in it so that was mm. exciting Kiefer. Kiefer sutherland okay um but yeah it was uh it was good so now i feel like i've sort of tapped into the classics holly is all but suggesting a some sort of a film school for for me to go to should we be doing something where um, I just catch up on the classics. Is that what it's called? And we do, we need to do classics. a rundown of movies that everyone should see. Well, yeah, and also need to know what movies you have seen versus what movies you haven't seen. We're Holly- trying to build your language, your, your <laughs> yes! cinematic language, yes! your pop culture, the ability to communicate in these things. Because even if you didn't really like Stamp, like Stand by Me, is not my favorite movie, right? But, but now class. you have seen it, and now you understand when people talk about it, you have a point right. of reference. Here's my only fear with that, Holly. And I think I'm largely open to this. And and I think Donna's probably like me. Maybe, maybe there are some that she hasn't seen as well. Mm-hmm. I accept the assignment in theory. I'm nervous about the placement exam. Because I think that you, <laughs> Holly, might become um, really troubled and maybe you'll be saying things when you walk off the show like how did he even get this job he's seen like 18 of the 100 afi movies that everyone should see before they die yeah but we're not gonna do the afi list we're gonna do do our own yes we're gonna do our own list we're doing the don and steve experience movie experience Mm. okay now we're getting there because we're looking at like pop culture classics yeah yeah i'm not not film snob yeah i'm not asking you you know to go and watch stan brackage films look them up but (laughs) okay i'm not asking that but there are movies that we need to find that you have a gap in that are yeah uh, that are important how about this why don't we do this tomorrow let's give holly an assignment for tomorrow okay tomorrow holly at uh how about what's tomorrow wednesday i've already started compiling tomorrow at 9 (laughs) 30 Why don't you prepare, Holly, to come in, write down maybe 25 movies that you're like, have you seen this? And then at 9.30, we'll go through them and one at a time rattle off if we've seen them or not. And then from that, we'll be able to compile a list. And I think that will also be a very 
uh, entertaining and telling when you hear what I've seen and what I haven't. I love accept it. that assignment. Accept it. All right. Nine thirty tomorrow. Holly will put together pop culture classic movies a list, and we'll find out what I haven't watched yet. It'll be exciting. It sure will, Steve. Well, there's one review down. Now we have another coming right up. You just finished an entire book over the weekend. Matthew Perry, Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing. Started it, finished it. Tell you what I thought when we come back. Good morning. Welcome back. Donna and Steve on My Talk 1071. Everything entertainment. Woo! Donna Valentine and Steve Patterson. Holly Roberts with us for hour one. Um, Steve, I am so curious to hear what you have to say about this book because I, too, have this book. Got it for oh, Christmas. Oh, you did? Okay. Yup. The, uh, the book is called Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing. This, of course, is the Matthew Perry memoir, which came out uh, late fall, November-ish, something like that. Um, I picked it up at some point in the middle of last week read a chapter or two, and then really just burned through it uh, this weekend. It's only 250 pages. Oh, okay. Um, I wanted to say I was reading it faster than I was. I wasn't, but I was. I just kept picking it up. You know, keep it around, you pick it up, get through a few pages. Let me tell you how the book begins, and I think it kind of sets the tone. Hi, my name is Matthew, although you may know me by another name. My friends call me Maddie, and I should be dead. That's how it starts. Which I thought it was wow. a pretty strong way to start it. Um, Matthew Perry is a good writer. It's an easy read in terms of how it's written. You hear Matthew Perry through it for sure. Uh, but I can't go much further without saying it is very honest, embarrassingly honest at points, and it's darn near tragic, mm. and there is an there is an overwhelming sense of sadness throughout his life. He he says this multiple times in the book, and anyone reading it would agree. I think, you know, he made eighty million dollars in his career. Oh wow! And I think he's done pretty well with his money. Like it sounds like you know he's he's still living the high life. Um, I wouldn't trade my life with him for all of the money in the world. Really? It And he, at various points, says, I would trade my life with anyone who's living free of addiction and just all the stuff I've gone through. I would, I would gladly worry about money every week. And live in a one-bedroom apartment and, you know, just not know if I'm going to have enough to keep the lights on. I would happily exchange my life for that. But he knows he can't. You see a man who is, um, who is obviously has dealt with addiction. There's a confusion almost to the book when you read it. And I wonder if that's intentional. You're reading and you're thinking, wait, where are we in the storyline again? What what drug is he on now? which what number rehab is this oh wait he's done a rehab it's at a, a, a like a halfway house or a sober house or, or where where are we i think there's seems to be or maybe i'm just sort of uh dumb in how i read it but there was this confusion which in i interpreted that as takes you into the life the mind of a lifelong addict 
who probably at various points or years in their life doesn't know up from down, right from left, what month is it? Where are we? His life sounds so miserable, despite the fact that, you know, as he will tell you, he pretty much slept with whoever he wanted to sleep with. He's like, I've slept with every beautiful woman in Hollywood. You know, I just have lived my life this way. I didn't even know. I'm out of the loop on a lot of um, relationship stuff in, in, in Hollywood as well. Didn't know that he ever was with Julia Roberts. That was lost on me. Uh, but they dated. They dated via fax, by the way. He, he de- uh, detailed that where he would be out with friends and think, I got to get home to see if a fax had come through. And if one hadn't, he would just sort of wait around, hoping for the sound, the clugs and the chugs and the clinks and the beeps of the fax machine to start because he knew that meant Julia Roberts had sent him a message. That's how they flirted. They didn't have cell phones at this point. Oh, my God. So they were texting via fax. He broke up with Julia Roberts, by the way. Um, She had said she wanted to be on the show, but she would only be on the show if she was a part of his storyline. And then they start flirting, and then they see each other and all that. But you get some of those little anecdotes. You get some of the the friends stuff and working on movies and all of that. And you get a man who, from the jump, has been searching for significance, for some sort of significance, and has attempted to find his significance, his identity, his meaning, his worth, in all the wrong things, career, in his case, women, and money. And, uh, you know, spoiler alert, we all know this, but it feels like we all want to test it to some extent. That does not provide you the significance that you're looking for. The Just to show you how extreme his problem was at one point, he was shooting a movie, he gets hurt in a jet ski accident, falls into the water, they're all yeah. like, don't jet ski, falls in, gets hurt. A doctor brings by a Vicodin. See if this helps. Sure enough, the Vicodin really helps. He wrote the doctor and said, that Vicodin helped. Can I get some more? Comes back to his room. He's got 40 Vicodin pills now. So he went from one. He was taking one Vicodin pill. was like, wow, that's really helping me. And he gets up to a point in his life where he is doing 55 Vicodin a day. Oh, my God. How do you survive that? The fact that this man is alive is a marvel. He would tell you in the book... It's because he can't quite figure it out, but God has somehow saved him from himself. Um, he, you know, had an encounter. He believes an encounter with God in his kitchen, and you know, it helped him to stop drinking. He's now stopped smoking. He's off drugs, although he's still on this one thing that is like a detox drug that you can't really go off of it helps you detox off all these other things but it's the hardest drug in the world to detox off of itself suboxacine or something weird i don't know the amount of times that this guy was in the hospital had surgery was at a rehab you know he was up in hazelden he was out in malibu he's been at these different rehabs he's been in all sorts of treatment centers um when 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 chandler and monica got married on the show a really big storyline in the show uh he was at a treatment center so he was getting dropped off by some sort of like sober companion in a pickup truck. They would drive him there. Oh He'd go gosh. to the set. He would shoot. And then he would go back. And though he had million-dollar estates in and around Hollywood and Beverly Hills, yeah. he was at a treatment center. So at the point where you think everything is going his way, he's at a treatment center. His life is tormented. He uh, His abuse of 
alcohol and drugs at the same time was remarkable. It was just, you're reading it thinking, how? How? And that's why he starts with, and I should be dead. It is, it's an interesting read. It's a sad read. It also shows you how recently he dealt with all of these issues. You know, I don't mean to be dark, but I think it's almost impossible for a reader to read this. And even though he's sober when he's writing this, mm-hmm. it's almost impossible to not close the book and feel a sense of worry. In fact, I closed the book and I prayed for him just because Aww. I was like, I just want to pray for this guy because he has been in such a battle his whole life. And it's tough to not close the book and not be worried right. that his next thing could be right around the corner, that a yeah. TMZ article could be waiting for you someday because that's how dark it is. And it's only within the last couple of years that he got clean, which in the world of an addict, and he's had yeah. years of sobriety before, he's in the thick it's of it one still. one day at a time, yeah. No, not a lie, yeah. Does he talk about in the book, and again, if you're just joining us, we're talking about Matthew Perry's um, memoir. He Does he talk about friendships, like close friends or anything along he, those lines, support systems? Yep, oh yeah, yes. He's had some uh, really great friends who have stuck with him, um, during the nine month stretch that he was wearing a, what's it called? A colostomy bag. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, waking up with crap all over himself, literally, cause the bags break all the time. Come to find out, um, a five month stretch that he spent in the hospital that he had a friend there with him every single, the same friend there every single night. Wow. Um, does he name the friend? He does name, name the friends. Uh, and then there was also a bunch of, you know, he also tried to find that, that friendship companionship in, women as well um uh it was sort of a serial sleeper a serial dater just i mean all this he really has in terms of his addiction and his his search for significance and his dating uh, how prolific a sleeper arounder he was. It is just a perfect recipe for depression, sadness, yeah. emptiness, oh. because it's all these dopamine releases, right? Right. He has sex, the feeling goes away, and now he's still laying there in bed, and she's gone, and he's looking out from his million-dollar mansion into the hills, and he's alone. And he, and these aren't. Um, this isn't my critique of him. This is how he's critiquing his own life. And he's looking at all these other people that have gone on to, you know, have relationships and have families and all these things that he's wanted and never materialized. And in the meantime, he's battling this addiction, this brutal, toothy addiction every day of his life. Mm-hmm. I mean, he tells you at a point when he's in some treatment center and cannot, he's trying to detox off something. He's in a stairwell and gets to a point and he's like, screw it, and starts slamming his head off of a concrete wall (gasps) to the point where someone comes out and they're like, Oh my gosh, what is, what the heck is going on here? I mean, he does not pull any punches in this. He tells you the stuff. And again, it is, it's, it's, it's both entertaining. It is sad. It is well-written. It is, uh, brutally honest. It's embarrassing. You know, if you want out of a memoir somebody to really tell you what's going on, Matthew Perry tells you what's going on in this book. Wow. Does he sure. what does he do for work? Well, he's still uh 
he's trying to write. He's trying to star in things. Oh, but that hasn't really materialized, right? I mean, he's last time we saw he's him. He's a liability, he, you know. For yeah. sure. And he had a bomb movie that happened with Bruce Willis. He had a good movie with Bruce Willis. It was the number one. He had the number one movie and number one TV show in the country. It was his goal. Oh. And he got it. And uh, and then four years later, he did a sequel with Bruce Willis and called The Whole Ten Yards after they had done The Whole Nine Yards together. It totally bombed. And after that, he was never asked to be in movies again. I mean, that's how quickly the, the faucet turns off. Wow. He did something that I thought you would relate with, though. And this could be a result of his uh, his addiction, kind of being bleary-eyed, always being through seeing through some vodka lenses. Adam McKay calls him. And um, Adam McKay, of course, you know, don't look up. And uh, he's done all these, you know, used to be the writing partner with Will Ferrell. Calls him, starts talking to him. And he go, he's like, oh, my gosh, this is great. I got a pitch to Adam right now, this idea that I have. He pitches, goes through the whole conversation. What do you think? And uh, Adam on the other end of the phone said, so I don't think this is the same Adam you think it is. It was Adam McLean, let's say, oh, no. who he had met, helped him with a computer thing. At some point, they exchange information. Oh, no. That happened one time. And then he gets to another point where he's at a restaurant. And this is, I thought, a very Donna Valentine kind of moment. Now, he, this was happening to him because he was hammered at the time. Um, M. Night Shyamalan comes over and sits down with them. They had just, he had, was blown up. He had done Sixth Sense at that point. It was like, if you can be in Shyamalan and Ding Dong's nice movie, this is going to be great. Uh, he's just yucking it up with him. Friend comes over. Dude, how's your night going? It's going great. I've been hanging out with M. Night Shyamalan. He's digging me. I think I'm like going to be in a movie of his. Oh, no. Is this um, going to be a Lori and Julia moment with Donna Mills? It is. It, <laughs> no. it was not M. Night Shyamalan. It was not M. Night Shyamalan. And so no, I thinking I'm going to be in the new movie and then it's like, I'm sorry, what now? That You're, you're not him? Okay, great. Oh, Check, no. please. Okay. I did it one time. I misidentified someone in the cafeteria. I'm just saying, you and Matthew Perry have a lot more in common than you think. (laughs) I hope good things for him. I hope he stays clean. I hope he stays sober. Um, And it's good you can you can read his comedy in this. You know, the comedy is baked in. The comedy and tragedy it's all right next to each other in the book. But it is it's very honest. So I enjoyed the read, tough as it was to hear about his life. Well, that'll be my next read. Um, I did start Prince Harry's book. And oh. I'm not very far. I'm not even 50 pages in. But, I, I mean, I like the writing. I don't know if he's actually writing the book or he's got someone oh. writing it for oh, him. Oh, he's got, he's got a ghostwriter. Really well written. Mm-hmm. Really, really, really good. Um, and also very honest. But we don't have the time. Hey, we're back. Donna and Steve on My Talk 1071. Everything entertainment. Wait. Um, Holly, Holly's here too. Um, how far are you into the Prince Harry book? I'm listening to it. Okay. I decided to do the audio book. I think I have like 10 hours left. Okay. It's, a it's long... probably like 15 hour book, right? Yeah, it's a long one. Wow. Let's see here. So I would say maybe the page equivalent of like a fourth of the way through. Yeah, I got 10 hours left. Okay, because it's a, about a 400 page book. So you're maybe... Uh, maybe 50 pages beyond me. I'm at the point where Harry is, um, he's going to school and where William didn't want to have anything to do with it. There, you know, like he was, he was finding comfort in knowing that his brother was at the same school that he was at and William wanted nothing to do with him. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and you know, was kind of like pretend you don't know me. We're not doing this brother thing. I don't. I don't need mm. my little punk brother like cramping my style, sort of thing. And then, um, you know, it, it's so interesting because. You know, a family is a family, right? Like, everyone has a family. But then you go and you, you listen to these stories about him being in a castle and describing, like, in great detail, some of the rooms that he was in. And he was in, a, I guess, a British history class. And, you know, the teacher would call on him and ask questions about British rulers. And if... The teacher called on him and he didn't know the answer. The teacher would basically embarrass him for not knowing about his own family. Hmm. You know, like it's such an interesting way of growing up, you know, and for sure going to school and then having all this added pressure. Yet he doesn't have quite the pressure that, say, William would probably have on him because he's only the spare you know, and then ha- losing your mom so early and then having a dad who's not, maybe he's warm in action, but not in, he's not, you know, a huggy kind of dad. And, you know, having to swallow your emotions because that's what they do, you know, and it's hard. He didn't even shed a tear for his mom until uh, he was at the burial and then he was you know, kind of kicking himself for showing emotion. Mm. Um, It's just, it's just really interesting. It's very early, obviously in the book, but I, I really like it so far. I really, I I mean, I'm still in that phase where if I see an interview on YouTube, I'm like, I got to watch this with him. I think that the interviews that Prince Harry is doing is, are kind of almost a disservice to the actual book spare. Hmm. Meaning that the book it's Harry's story, and it's very intimate. And yes. it's his personal recollection of growing... It's his memoir. Right. Whereas the clips that we're seeing from the media, and even the interviews that he's doing, I, I don't think really give insight into the level of intimacy that the book actually provides. Right. Like, it's about him. It's his story. And they're pulling things that are like... Your family. What about your family? Like, have you talked to your brother? You know what I mean? Like, they're making it what they want us to believe the book is. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not really like. And he gives a more nuanced critique of the system in which he exists being the British monarchy, yes. which was my criticism of the interviews that he was giving before the book was released. I was like, well, OK, but, you know, let's talk about why folks are acting this way. Because they're in this construct that they feel they have to perpetuate. And he does get a little more critical, Prince Harry, about that in the book. And it's like, okay, I will keep listening to you because I have 10 hours left. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I I do feel like since he kind of broke away, kind of broke away, he broke away from, you know, his country and the monarchy and all that. I did learn a lot. I didn't understand the role that the tabloids played, even having lived through the death of Princess Diana and all that. I knew that they were, you know, kind of unbearable, but I didn't understand the relationship with the royal family the way I do now. Sure. You know, the, the kind of planting of stories so that... 
you could get them off the trail of a different story. You know, they're 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 playing with the media. So when right. I, like when you hear someone say um, a British expert, uh, when we're going to be watching the king's coronation or whatever, when they're going to be covering that, if you're tra- if someone's talking to a British expert, that means essentially that the British family allowed them kind of access. They have a relationship with them in that way to make them look good. You know, yeah. you know, I the. Th- I keep thinking about the thing that you said, and I'm sh- maybe you can t- explain a little bit more of this. But when his mother passed away, mm-hmm. um, y- you're saying that there was some pressure to not show emotion. Yes. Well, and I don't think he just he couldn't from a personal yeah perspective. Two things were going on at the same time. Okay. On one hand, Prince Harry was put out there. As a representation of the British monarchy saying that, you know, you have to go out and you have to greet people and you consult people and you're acting on behalf of this institution. Hmm. At the same time, that personal trauma that Harry experienced with his mother dying, he couldn't access what was happening to he the was point in shock. He almost, was in shock yeah. and into the point where he was living with a, a under the delusion that she just went away for years. Hmm. He, yeah, like he thought she maybe faked her own death. Yeah, like she was just hanging out in the south of France. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, that feels that feels better for me because, like, then my overprotective parent mode goes in of like, you know, he's he's twelve at the time that his mother right? passed, and that you, you know, nobody uh, was helping him to express his feelings. No, now, and that's a but that's friends, different than being teachers, that's different his, than being told not to be emotional. You know, not to feel your feelings. Well, I think you have to put on a brave face for publicity sake. Well, and he couldn't... In public. And I think with Prince Harry, he talks about just not wanting to deal with it. Because there is a part in the book Spare, and I don't know if you've gotten to this part yet, Donna. But that William wanted to talk about it with yes, Harry. Yes, I did. And that he wanted to access some of these emotions with Harry... You're mm-hmm. my brother. Let's talk about what happened to mom. And Harry just pushed it aside. Mm. He didn't yeah. want to go there. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Mm. But there, I, I feel like that's the example they're given is you never see granny cry. You know, I don't oh, see dad cry. Prince Harry, at the end of the day, wants a dang hug. I, yes. he, wants, he wants a hug. He, does. he said he's become a hugger. Yeah, he wants a hug from dad. He wants a hug from his grandma. Mm -hmm. And those folks could not give him that kind of love that he so desperately wanted. Yeah. Hmm. He's such a sweetheart. I mean, I I am so glad he's talking about this because it seems like he's done the work that he needs to do on himself. It's clear that he has put in years of trying to find himself. And now that he finally has, he's being pushed away you know he wants to talk to them they're not talking and anyway so the question remains will he be at the king's coronation ceremony or not and i hope so i hope so so too we gotta go holly's not gonna be here next hour she's gonna leave now mike the mensch comes in uh some of the most hated songs in rock history let's listen